DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents Spiritual Desolation. Be aware, understand, take action with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher is a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, a religious community dedicated to retreats and spiritual formation according to the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. He is featured on several series found on the Eternal Word television network. He is also author of numerous books on the spiritual teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the venerable Bruno Lanteri, founder of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, all published by the Crossroads Publishing Company. This particular series is based in part on Chapter 4 of Setting Captives Free, Personal Reflections on Ignatian Discernment of Spirits. Spiritual Desolation. Be aware, understand, take action. With Father Timothy Gallagher, I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Well, I think as we move toward looking at Rule 4, which is where Ignatius speaks of desolation, spiritual desolation, it would be helpful to get the larger context and just do a very quick review of the rules. What we did systematically in the first set of podcasts and courses done in the book so this is going to be the probably the quickest review of the rules I've ever done, but just to get the whole context. In the title statement, that's where Ignatius lays out the three steps of discernment of spirits. What is discernment of spirits? Discernment of spirits is a spiritual action or operation or exercise which asks us to be aware of the spiritual experience going on in our hearts and in our thoughts work with it with the tools that Ignatius and the tradition supply until we understand what's of God and not of God in it, and then take action appropriately, accepting what is of God, being guided by it, rejecting what is of the enemy. So in the prologue, Ignatius does the most important thing. He tells us what discernment of spirits is. The rest is applying it, learning more about it and applying it. In the first two rules, Ignatius sets up two fundamental spiritual situations and explains for us how the good spirit and the enemy work in a person in the one situation or the other. And we've spoken earlier of the first rule, the person, as Ignatius says, who is going from mortal sin to mortal sin, and then how the enemy will fill the imagination with images of sensual delights, and the good spirit will trouble the person, sting and bite in the person's conscience, so that the discomfort will lead the person to make the only change that can ever make us truly happy. The First Rule In persons who are going from mortal sin to mortal sin, the enemy is ordinarily accustomed to propose apparent pleasures to them, leading them to imagine sensual delights and pleasures in order to hold them more and make them grow in their vices and sins. In these persons, the good spirit uses a contrary method, stinging and biting their consciences through their rational power of moral judgment. Obviously an important rule. Any of us who have been, if I may say this with great reverence, in that situation in our lives will remember how unhappy we felt, troubled we felt, how we couldn't find peace. And that was uncomfortable then, but we're very grateful for it now because it was that loving action of the good spirit of God that brought us to the only place where, as Augustine says, our restless hearts can can find rest in God. Is that biting from God different in nature than that of the enemy? Is there a different type of feel? Like, 
You've heard the term, uh, God will convict us, but the evil one will accuse us. Yes, there's a, both the word is used, the same word is used in rule one of the action of the good spirit, biting, stinging and biting, troubling the person. And in the second rule, where Ignatius now looks at the person like Augustine after his conversion, or Ignatius after his conversion, or I'm going to guess most of us who are listening, are probably listening because we, we want to get close to God. We love the Lord, and we want to grow in the spiritual life. Ignatius will use again the word biting, but now it's, it's a very different thing. So when people are striving to grow toward God, deepening their life of prayer, getting closer to the sacraments, growing in, in love and service in their family, in their workplace, more deep involvement in the church, then what the enemy will do, Ignatius says, is to try to hinder that movement toward God. And one of his tactics is to bite. Now, what this looks like, so the, the stinging and biting of the good spirit in someone going away from God, like uh, young Augustine, for example, that's the restlessness, that's, that's the trouble, becoming even bitterness and torment and anguish in his heart at times. As he looks at his life, I give examples in the book of this of people who feel like they're brought to utter, utter a place of, of, of lowness and helplessness and pain. And it's so painful that they say, I can't go on like this, and then that brings them back to God. That's that loving, stinging, and biting. What is it Pascal says? Here is a thief who is attempting to snatch from her mother her child. And he says, the child must love the violence with which the mother strips away the child from the hands that would clutch him and take him away and brings him safely to herself. It's an image of this action uh, of God and the love behind it. But things are very different now when we have a person who is growing toward God and begins to find, for example, just a little insinuation. So the thought comes, maybe you're not really praying very well here. Or, why did it take you so long? Or, yes, you did that for the Lord, but you could have done it better. And on and on and on, there's a but uh, in all of this. That's, that's just the biting. And sometimes it's so low-key that we're hardly even aware of it. But that's where the discerning life comes in, when we can begin to become aware of this, understand it for the action of the enemy that it is, and then reject it. If we're not aware, don't understand it, don't reject it, it will sap our spiritual energy. But if we are aware of it and reject it, it'll it'll never harm us. In fact, we're growing every time we resist that. The second rule. In persons who are going on intensely purifying their sins and rising from good to better in the service of God our Lord, the method is contrary to that in the first rule. For then it is proper to the evil spirit to bite, sadden, and place obstacles, disquieting with false reasons, so that the person may not go forward. And it is proper to the good spirit to give courage and strength, consolation, tears, inspirations, and quiet, easing and taking away all obstacles, so that the person may go forward in doing good. Is the person heading away from God and living a life of serious sin? Is there some trouble in the person's heart? That's the good spirit working. Is this a person who loves the Lord and with all our human weakness sincerely wants to love and serve the Lord and grow in that? 
And are there little thoughts or stirrings that are attempting to undermine some of the joy of that and just gnaw at it, bite at it? Then we have the, we have the enemy and that's to be rejected. Other tactics of the enemy in the person growing, the enemy will attempt to bring sadness, place obstacles, it's too difficult, you can't do it, and disquiet with false reasons. You know what this is really about? You just want to look better in the eyes of your spouse or your children. Of course, none of that's there. But if we don't, again, if we're not aware, don't understand and take action. Somebody said once that on my tombstone, those words would be put, be aware, understand, and take action, accept or reject (laughs) I wouldn't mind it. Uh, whatever helps to uh, remember that. The big three. Yes, that's what you've called it, and that's what they are. So there's a big difference between that action of the enemy trying to discourage a person growing toward God and this stinging and biting of the good spirit in a person heading away from God. And we know the difference by looking at the direction of the person's life. All right, in the third and fourth rules, Ignatius looks at spiritual consolation and spiritual desolation. Spiritual consolation when our hearts are joyful in the Lord. Third rule. The third is of spiritual consolation. I call it consolation when some interior movement is caused in the soul, through which the soul comes to be inflamed with love of its Creator and Lord, and... Consequently, when it can love no created thing on the face of the earth in itself, but only in the creator of them all. Likewise, when it sheds tears that move to the love of its Lord, whether out of sorrow for one's sins, or for the passion of Christ our Lord, or because of other things directly ordered to his service and praise. Finally, I call consolation every increase of hope, faith, and charity, and all interior joy that calls and attracts to heavenly things, and to the salvation of one's soul, quieting it and giving it peace in its Creator and Lord. Spiritual desolation, as we'll be seeing in more detail when the enemy tries to discourage us from that. Fourth rule. The fourth is of spiritual desolation. I call desolation all the contrary of the third rule, such as darkness of soul, disturbance in it, movement to low unearthly things, disquiet from various agitations and temptations, moving to lack of confidence, without hope, without love, finding oneself totally slothful, tepid, sad, and as if separated from one's Creator the Lord. For just as consolation is contrary to desolation, in the same way the thoughts that come from consolation are contrary to the thoughts that come from desolation. With the shift from the title and the first four rules into rules five to the end, the remaining nine rules, Ignatius moves from giving us the basics, which we now have from the title statement and the first four rules, to the application, to real life. And essentially trying to equip us, if we look at the big three, be aware, understand, and focus on the third one, take action, he's essentially trying to equip us to reject the enemy's spiritual desolations, because that's where most, as we've said, most of the problems are for us. He does have some things to say about accepting God's work in spiritual consolation, but much more to say about helping us overcome the real obstacle. We'll return to Spiritual Desolation 
Be aware, understand, take action with Father Timothy Gallagher in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app where you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Monsignor John Essif, Deacon James Keating, Father Donald Haggerty, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more. They're all available on the free Discerning Hearts app. Over 3,000 spiritual formation programs and prayers, all available to you with no hidden fees or subscriptions. Did you also know that you can listen to Discerning Hearts programming wherever you download your favorite podcasts, like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, even on Audible, as well as numerous other worldwide podcast streaming platforms. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has a YouTube channel? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts Catholic Podcasts, dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these videos, prayers, and more, go to discerninghearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks and God bless. We now return to Spiritual Desolation. Be aware, understand, take action with Father Timothy Gallagher. The famous Rule 5 in Time of Desolation, Never Make a Change. There's a grace attached to this. People never forget it. Fifth Rule In time of desolation, never make a change, but be firm and constant in the proposals and determination in which one was the day preceding such desolation, or in the determination in which one was in the preceding consolation. Because, as in consolation, the good spirit guides and counsels us more, so in desolation, the bad spirit with whose counsels we cannot find the way to a right decision. In time of spiritual desolation, never change anything that you'd plan to do in your spiritual life while you are in the desolation. Get through the desolation, then you can look at things. But in time of desolation, never make a change. I always beg people to never forget that. Because those eight words, in time of desolation, never make a change, will get us safely through almost any darkness we may experience in the spiritual life. Rule six is the companion to rule five. If rule five tells us the changes we should not make, don't change anything you'd plan to do in your spiritual life. Be it from the greatest thing, your vocation itself, to, in quotes, the smallest things, the prayer I was going to do today, or the confession I was going to go to on this Saturday afternoon, or whatever. Rule 6 tells us the changes that we should make in time of desolation, not to our proposals, but to ourselves and to the way we're facing the desolation, and to apply more actively four spiritual tools to reject the desolation. Fifth rule. 
In time of desolation, never make a change, but be firm and constant in the proposals and determination in which one was the day preceding such desolation, or in the determination in which one was in the preceding consolation. Because, as in consolation, the good spirit guides and counsels us more, so in desolation, the bad spirit with whose counsels we cannot find the way to a right decision. Prayer of Petition, Asking God's Help, Meditation on Truths, Scriptural Verses, Truths of Faith, Scriptural Verses, Memories of God's Fidelity in Our Lives in the Past that Can Strengthen Us, Examining What's Going On, How Did This Get Started, uh, What's Happening, and then instead of fleeing into refrigerators and smartphones and so on, say that reverently, and that's where people say, oh, Father Gallagher, how, how come you can describe this? I was going to say, did you see me do that this morning? That's exactly what I just did. Well, it's all of us. It's all of us. We're all brothers and sisters, and uh, which is a wonderful, you know, this is one of the things that I say in the teaching at a certain point, this will come to me. This is normal spiritual experience. It's all of us. You go to the doctor, you get your annual physical, the doctor pokes and thumps, takes blood and so on, and you get the results and the doctor says everything's normal and you feel great. Isn't it nice to know that we're normal in the spiritual life? These ups and downs, the spiritual consolation and desolation, it's all of us, it's every saint, every disciple of the Lord since the church began. What is important is be aware, understand, and take action so that we're equipped to deal with it. But that we experience it is just utterly normal spiritual experience. Father Gallagher, just real quick, for those who heard you say about not ceasing a spiritual action or a devotion that you might have started and wait until you get into consolation, it really bespeaks of the importance before you actually commit to doing that, that that's been discerned beforehand. So... I may feel like I, I'm going to start the liturgy of the hours. I'm going to go to Mass every day. I'm going to start this Bible study. I, and I have a list of things. And that in itself can be too much. And normally when that happens, it happens in time of spiritual consolation. We've made a retreat. or We've had wonderful experiences with the sacraments or in our personal prayer where we joined a group. And there's such energy. And I could also, if I got up at, this earlier hour, I could, all of that. That's what Ignatius addresses in Rule 10 and Rule 11. That's really the, the main issue he addresses with regard to accepting spiritual consolation, to be careful not to let ourselves a little naively and overconfidently, with goodwill, but a little unrealistically extend ourselves too much because that can lead to a crash when we get exhausted or overextended and we can't sustain it. So yes, there is something to say about how we receive the joy of spiritual consolation, and Ignatius will address that. So that's an important issue. I love questions like this because what they indicate is that we're thinking with Ignatius. And people uh, always smile a bit when I say, yes, that's a rule six. Maybe we're dealing with rule four, and I say, that's a great question. Ignatius will address it in rule six. Great question. Ignatius will address it in rule nine, and so on. People laugh a little bit, but I love that because people are now engaged with and thinking with Ignatius and they find out there's a reason why there are 14 rules. So we are on, in this fast overview, rule six. I think this is a very important one, especially after five. You're, you're not going to make any changes. So rule six, hunker down. 
Rule six is a very, very blessed rule. If we know that those four tools are to be employed in time of spiritual desolation, then an awful lot can change in the spiritual desolation. One uh, young man once, when I was presenting these rules, said to me, he had played football in high school, and he said, I like rule five, but I especially like rule six. Rule five for me is like playing defense. You don't let the enemy into your territory. But rule six is like playing offense. You go right at the enemy. It's a very nice metaphor for the pair that rules five and rule six are. So yes, the closer we can get to rule six and understand how to employ these four tools, prayer of petition, meditation on certain things that will help, examining what's going on, and then instead of fleeing into some kind of gratification, which doesn't really resolve anything, what Ignatius calls suitable penance, or I call suitable gestures of penitential courage, it can make an enormous difference in the desolation. As you continue to, in a very brief way, give us the different steps in the rules, what would Rule 7 reveal to us? So Rules 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9, this little subset of five rules, are all rules for the person who is right now experiencing spiritual desolation and needs help to know how to take action to reject it. So the man at 10 o'clock alone in his room after the discouraging day at work and prayer has been slipping all day and doesn't want to pray. Uh, The woman alone in her kitchen in mid-afternoon after a discouraging conversation with her teenage daughter normally prays at this time with scripture, no desire to do it. There's the remote control and soap operas and so on. For people in right now in the struggle of spiritual desolation, Ignatius wants to provide tools. And in Rule 7, he amplifies the steps we can take to include the conscious choice to adopt a certain way of thinking when we are right now in the struggle of desolation. So the key um, verb in Rule 7 is that the one who is in desolation consider. Seventh rule. Let one who is in desolation consider how the Lord has left him in trial in his natural powers, so that he may resist the various agitations and temptations of the enemy. Since he can resist with the divine help which always remains with him, though he does not clearly feel it, For the Lord has taken away from him his great fervor, abundant love, and intense grace, leaving him, however, sufficient grace for eternal salvation. So if these people, any of us in desolation, can call to mind these thoughts, explicitly applying Rule 7 in desolation, the thoughts will greatly encourage the person. So Ignatius says to the one in desolation, consider that this is a trial. Desolation gets really heavy when it just seems meaningless pain. But when we can see it as a trial, now we're seeing it on the level of faith, as something that's within God's providence. We read in the Acts, through many trials we must enter the kingdom of heaven. All right, that's different. Now it has meaning. Remember Viktor Frankl's classic book, Man's Search for Meaning, and how he learned in the concentration camps that those who saw no meaning in their suffering succumbed and died Those who found meaning in it, that is, a wife they were determined to see again, or a project in life that they were determined to conclude, and so forth, 
they were the ones who survived. So that this is the first thought. This is a trial. This is within the providence of a God who loves me. And the reason for the trial is so that the person have the opportunity to resist desolation because by being in it and resisting it again and again in the normal ebb and flow of the spiritual life, a person grows in this wonderful ability that is to be able to resist spiritual desolation. And then finally, Ignatius says, call this to mind. Consider this. You can resist this. When the desolation is crying out to you, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't pray today. You can't go to the Bible study today. You can't continue with these efforts to love in the family and in your marriage in these new ways. Remember, consider that you can, because even though you don't feel it, you know with the surety of faith that God is giving you all the grace that you need to get through the desolation. In Rule 8, Ignatius focuses on the key virtue in time of desolation. This is where he uses the words that I quoted earlier. This is that we are to work to be in patience. So the woman at 3 o'clock in the afternoon in her kitchen, who normally prays for a half hour with scripture at this time before the children return, Ignatius says to her, it's not easy. There's an effort involved here. Work to be in patience. Stay the course. Don't give up. You're like the marathon runner in the last mile of the marathon. Uh, You stay the course. You remain faithful. That patience is a beautiful thing, and a beautiful thing in our culture today, which often is not sure that it's possible. It is possible because God's grace is always there. Eighth rule. Let one who is in desolation work to be in patience, which is contrary to the vexations which come to him, and let him think that he soon will be consoled diligently using the means against such desolation, as is said in the sixth rule. And what will help the person to work to be in patience is to a thought. Again, uh, over and over, Ignatius invites us to consider thoughts. There's a book on the spiritual life entitled Thoughts Matter. The way we think has a lot to say with what's going to happen in our spiritual experience. You know, as you're speaking, Father Gallagher, I'm recalling a teachings of the Desert Fathers. Maybe I'm not sure if St. Ignatius had encountered this or not, but it's that uh, understanding of the noonday devil that as you've spoken over in desolation, the enemy is assaulting us in some ways potentially. And that Asidia, that's a name for that particular experience. Do you suppose St. Ignatius understood that or he's describing that in a way? Oh, absolutely. And when we turn, as we will in just a short time, to the actual text of Rule 4, where he describes spiritual desolation in his own vocabulary, you see that the person feels entirely, he says, tepid, Uh, sad, without fervor, without energy. And that's very much the experience of acedia. What comes to mind as you're saying this is something that um, Deacon uh, Jim Keating often repeats, that the key issue in the spiritual life is to stay in love. Not just to fall in love, but to stay in love. And that's where acedia comes in. When the, the, the journey seems long, and the initial enthusiasm is no longer there. The noonday sun, you know, the heat of the noonday is the image of that. And then the call is to stay the course, is to to stay in love through that. I would think it's true to say that 
In our spiritual tradition, Ignatius has the clearest counsel on what to do about that because that can easily be a space where spiritual desolation can come in. So what do we do about that? How do we resist that? How do we reject that? Well, that's exactly what he's equipping us to do through the rules that we're looking at now. That noonday devil or acedia, it's not something to be afraid of if we experience it. It's something that we need to be aware of and we need to respond to. But we can serenely expect that at some points the journey will not be filled with enthusiasm and it will be hard and there may be suffering. Well, Jesus told us that the daily cross would be a part of discipleship. What is key is how we respond to it. And of course, in the Desert Fathers, you have a lot of wisdom on that. And Ignatius is born out of that tradition, but as we've said before, expresses it in such a way that he tends to come to the fore, and I think rightly so. Um, The thought Ignatius says in Rule 8 that's going to help us remain patient at such times is that we're going to be soon consoled because the desolation is going to try to tell us as a we're going to say it claims power to predict our spiritual future. What you're experiencing tonight at 10 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the kitchen, next week and the next month is just going to go on and on. The undiscerning response to spiritual desolation is the sense that this is just going to keep weighing on me. And so Ignatius says, no, call to mind, think about the truth that, that desolation is going to pass, consolation is going to return, and soon, which is a bold word, a lot sooner than the desolation is telling you. And then finally, he repeats the uh, counsel to use the four active means that he gave us in Rule 6, prayer, meditation, much examination, and suitable acts of penance. In Rule 9, Ignatius addresses another uh, very key question which people will ask. Um, If we put it in the words of Jesus in its most extreme um, instance, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? I'm doing my best to love and serve you, Lord. I've embraced my vocation. I'm doing the best I can. Why do I have to go through this darkness, this acedia, this heaviness, uh, feeling far from you, feeling no energy for spiritual things? Couldn't a God who loves us spare us these experiences? So the rules would be incomplete if Ignatius did not address this question, which he does in Rule 9. Ninth Rule There are three principal causes for which we find ourselves desolate. The first is because we are tepid, slothful, or negligent in our spiritual exercises, and so, through our faults, spiritual consolation withdraws from us. The second, to try us and see how much we are and how much we extend ourselves in service and praise without so much payment of consolations and increased graces. The third, to give us true recognition and understanding, so that we may interiorly feel that it is not ours to attain or maintain increased devotion, intense love, tears, or any other spiritual consolation, but that all is the gift and grace of God our Lord and so that we may not build a nest in something belonging to another, raising our mind in some pride or vain glory, attributing to ourselves the devotion or the other parts of the spiritual consolation. And what he does is to highlight for us three reasons why God may allow us to go through the experience of spiritual desolation, because in each case there's a kind of fruit 
spiritual fruit that God wants to give us. If we have uh, begun to slip or become negligent somewhere in our spiritual life, maybe prayer is no longer as consistent, then God may permit the experience of spiritual desolation as a wake-up call. Oh, I don't feel your closeness. And You know what? It's time for me to get back to that morning time of prayer that uh, that I've loved, you know, over the past few years. And then there are two more reasons which have nothing to do at all with our own fault. And it, this is one of the reasons why I can say so confidently that there's no shame in experiencing spiritual desolation. So a person who is not at all negligent may still experience spiritual desolation as a trial, Ignatius says. Same language he used in Rule 7. And the purpose of Permitting the person to go through that trial is some kind of growth or progress or learning or new wisdom in the spiritual life, a very real thing. Uh, we can all look back over our spiritual lives and recognize how at times, yes, certainly much growth has come through the joy of spiritual consolation and God's closeness, but also sometimes it's the darkness that almost compels us to take steps that prove to be the most useful and beneficial in the spiritual life. And then finally, Ignatius says, God may permit spiritual desolation so that when we experience that, we know in the flesh, as it were, that any experience of spiritual consolation that God may give us is his work. It's his grace. It's his gift. It's not our doing. And that roots us in a very real way in this rich biblical space of humility, which for Ignatius is the space that opens us up to all spiritual growth. You've been listening to Spiritual Desolation. Be aware, understand, take action with Father Timothy Gallagher. This particular series is based in part on Chapter 4 of Setting Captives Free, Personal Reflections on Ignatian Discernment of Spirits. You can find this book on Father Gallagher's website at fathertimothygallagher.org. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Spiritual Desolation. Be aware Understand, take action with Father Timothy Gallagher.